Good morning, if you will, open up your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. As we are going through this month, we are looking at the theme of be ready. I want to encourage you to be ready. Last week we talked about being ready to tell, being ready to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the best news we can tell uh, in this world today. And when we think about this today, I went back and forth on whether to call it be ready to gather, but I'm thinking about be ready to communicate. And to be ready to communicate, it helps in the essence and in the desire to gather, so it kind of ties together, ties together very well. And when we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, uh, we're going to be looking at this today. One passage in particular in this uh, in this passage today is very familiar to us, but I want to encourage you to look at this with new eyes. As we look at this today, be ready to communicate. It's important to communicate in a church, in a family, uh, whether it's with your spouse or with your children or your co-workers, you need to be ready to communicate. And to communicate, communication comes in all different forms. It comes through body language. It comes through inflection and tone. Communication comes through um, how you speak, when you speak, how you speak. All that comes into it. There are different ways of communicating. You can communicate by what you give or what you choose not to give. You can communicate by how you participate or how you choose not to participate. There is communication that is constantly ongoing in our world today. And in a world today where there is so many avenues of communication, for some odd reason, communication breaks down yet still. And, and what that is, is, an, is a problem of not being ready to enter. It's a problem of not being ready to draw near. It's a problem of not being ready in hope and not being ready in consideration. And as we look at that, we've got to understand how to, when to communicate and what to communicate. We are in a world today where you can, the least common used app on the phone is the phone app. <laughs> Do you realize that? That's the most unused app on the phone. If you've got a smartphone, it's probably the least thing you use on it. I say that at least... Uh, because we, we text, that's probably the most used app on the phone is the text messaging app. And then, you know, whatever else comes after that. It might be a map app to get you from point A to point B. It communicates to you. And you can choose how to communicate. You could tell that voice in there to communicate to you in a male voice, female voice. You could get them to communicate to you in an English female voice. That's what mine is. I think it's pretty neat. Um, you, you can get them to communicate in all different types of ways. Last night we were at a wedding and we were talking to uh, one of my previous students. His name's Joe Cagle. He leads worship at, uh, at another church here in town. And uh, I was talking to him and we were talking about when we read in our Bible app, in, uh, in, the, in the New Living Translation, within the Version app, you've got four different people that can potentially read that scripture to you. Four different narrators. You can have like a non-dramatized male, a non-dramatized female. You can have, what was it called? It was called, uh, 
Uh, it had like a little beat running behind it and all this kind of stuff. And he told me, that's what I listened to. I listened to it this morning when I was doing my Bible reading. I was like, man, this is challenging to listen to on the phone because they're so shrill in the phone. But it had like a beat and a rhythm, and you had different inflection and different tones, and different people are talking. It, it's, uh, I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, it was communicating. And then there's a, another female that's dramatized where she's talking in different voices as people talk. So you know that there's, this is this person talking and that person talking. And, and for some of us, uh, you know, you can retain better when you do that, when you hear those in different ways, because it's all about communication. It's about communication. And when we think about communication, when we look at this text today, you may say at first, I don't understand where that comes in. You'll see that in just a moment. Let's read together Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching." As we look at this passage of Scripture, I've broken it into those four things I said just a moment ago. Be ready to enter. And we're going to start there in verses 19 through 20. Well, how do we enter? How do we enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus? And listen, we must not just read over this passage without stopping to see the depth of this passage. I told Sean in Sunday school, this could easily be four sermons right here. Four sermons, but I'm going to bring it into one that might fit within 26 minutes. So let's, let's look at this together. He says, therefore, brethren, anytime there's a therefore, you look at what it's there for. And you look back to what was before it. So we can look back into that. And when it's talking about Jesus Christ, and, and if you just look there in the latter part of verse 17, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will no longer, uh, excuse me, I will remember no more, for where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. Why is there no more remission? Because Christ did that. Scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission of sin. Jesus died on that cross. His blood, his blood is the remission of our sins. So therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness, the holiest, by the blood of Jesus... Listen, the holiest refers to the most holy place in the tabernacle. No one could enter it except the high priest, who could only go inside it once a year under the strictest supervision. If anyone besides the high priest entered the most holy place without permission, they died. There was no slap on the wrist. There was no, oh no, you shouldn't have done that. There was, there was death because they disobeyed God's expectations. They disobeyed God's 
choosing, his, his laid out guidelines for the tabernacle. Now, however, on account of Christ's work on the cross, his shed blood, believers can now enter the most holy place with confidence. This does not mean they enter into a physical sanctuary. It's not talking about coming into here. It doesn't mean, listen, there's lost people that come into the house of the Lord all the time. Billy Graham said that probably 80% of the people that sit on pews are lost and going to hell. I want to tell you something. It, entering those doors don't make you saved. A lot of people in Alabama think, because we're in the Bible Belt, oh, I went to church, I went to VBS, I did this, I did that. It ain't about what you did. It's about what Christ did. It ain't about where you're gone. It's about where you're going. And it's about who's going to get you there. So walking through those doors don't do you any more good than walking into a door at McDonald's. But what does do you good is hearing this word preached, this word taught, because this is truth. Not, not me. I'm a sinful human being that God just happened to call out to say, preach it. But this is truth. So when you encounter God, when you enter into this holy time, We've got to come in worshiped up, not getting here and saying, all right, Donald, make me worship. All right, Lily, make me worship. Choir, make me worship. You bring your worship with you. If you're not doing it during the week, you're going to have a hard time getting anything chugged up and ready to go when you get here. You've got to get that flame started during the week. It needs to be burning bright. So when you come in here, the lighthouse that is the Christ house is glowing for all the world to see. When people go down this road, they feel conviction. Man, I should be up in there. I can, I can go to Jack's afterwards, you know? I, I can go there afterwards, but I can be here. We want to enter into the, the holiest, but this is very much personal. This is a personal effort. This is not a personal effort in salvation. It's a personal effort to, to sanctify yourself. Sanctification is a joint effort between Christ and you. We have to make that effort in sanctification. But by God's grace, as we see this, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by God's grace, the door to his presence is now wide open. There is no, this is nothing short of revolutionary. God communicated to us by the blood of Jesus. He said, this is how you enter. This is the key that unlocks the door to salvation, is the blood of Jesus. This is the key. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So how can you be ready to enter? You be ready to enter by the blood of Jesus. Christ's blood is vital to the message and the theology of Christianity. His blood divides the sheep from the goats, but unites those that it saves. That's the blood of Jesus. If we lose the language of the blood, we lose the gospel. We lose the gospel. I remember it was probably about 10, maybe 20 years ago, there was a big push to, oh, we don't need to be singing about the blood. We don't need to be singing about the blood. Okay, listen, we're not at Joel Osteen's church, okay? We're in Christ's church. We're going to be singing about repentance. We're going to be singing about sin. We're going to be singing and teaching and preaching about hell. We're going to be singing and preaching about following after Christ. And the only way that comes is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto me, it, 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 no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he said. 
There's no other way to get to heaven except through him. And it's through his blood that we're able to get there. We also get there by the life of Jesus. We get there by the blood of Jesus, and we get there by the life of Jesus. Look there in verse 20. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So what is this saying? God communicated to us through the blood of Christ, but also through the body of Christ. Why do we take of the Lord's Supper? It represents the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. That's how. Now, we don't, by partaking of the Lord's Supper, that doesn't make you a believer. But you should be a believer to partake of the Lord's Supper. No bread or no wine is ever going to change your heart. The only thing that's going to change your heart is Jesus Christ. This is a symbolic, I point down here, these are flowers, but the, it's symbolic, the Lord's Supper is symbolic to Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And that's what the writer here is saying. It was by the blood of Jesus, it is by the life of Jesus that we got to be ready to enter. It was, it was through his living as a man in the flesh. John 1.14 tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. His flesh was the veil. Sean and I talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. You know, some people want to say that Christ, when the Scripture says that Christ emptied himself, they say, oh, he emptied himself. He didn't have all of his godliness. Well, if Jesus, and if you were here on Wednesday nights, you've heard this statement. If Jesus, for one millisecond, for one nanosecond, whatever you want to use that language, I don't even know if either one of those are right. But if for any moment in time, if Christ was not God, he was never God. So when it says he emptied himself, he put on the veil, he put on the veil of flesh. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, when, when he, he pulled back the veil of his flesh for a little bit, and they saw him as he was in his full God, his, his full divinity, and, and they couldn't see, they couldn't look upon him because his glory was so bright. So he didn't take anything away, he just added two and when you add to humanity, you're adding to something there that, that, will hint, that, that sets a veil over that divinity. But anyway, it was by the, by the blood of Jesus, by the life of Jesus, Christ not only passes through the curtain as our high priest, but blazes a trail for us to follow. Not only did he do that, you we know when you read through the account of Christ's death on the cross, we know that the sky turned black and the veil that was in the temple was torn uh, in two from top to bottom. And that, that veil was so tall, no, no person could reach that without a ladder or a scaffold. And I don't even know if they knew how to put those together that quickly because they sure didn't do it. And the veil, the, that veil was so thick. I can't remember if it was 6 or 12 inches thick, but it was a mighty thick veil, a curtain, and Christ tore it in half. Christ tore it in half. He blazed the path that said, no longer is there a separation between you and the Father. I am the door. I am the gate to the sheepfold. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You follow me, and you can walk right boldly into the presence of God the Father. Just follow me. 
follow me is what he said. So when we read Christ made a way, we can follow him to a place once limited to specific people at specific times. There are no longer there no longer exists an impediment that, to entering the presence of God if one goes through Jesus Christ. His flesh, slain and risen, becomes the entrance into the Holy of Holies. That's how God communicated how to enter. We enter through the blood. We enter through his life, through the life of Christ. Now it says there in verse uh, 22, now, we needed a high priest. Christ became the high priest. He tore the veil, and he's the one who leads us into the Holy of Holies. He is our high priest. And since he's leading us there, verse 22 says, let us. You'll notice let us multiple times in this, in this text. Let is a, is, a submissive, is a submission word. You've got the choice. You've got the, time, the opportunity to submit to this. Or not submit to this. So let us do this. Let us do this. Since Christ has made the way. Since Christ has shed his blood. Since Christ died in the flesh. So he was the greater sacrifice. A sacrifice that, that satisfied both those of the earthly realm and of the heavenlies. His, he did that. And that's what Hebrews is all about the whole book. How Christ met all those needs. Met all those requirements. It says let us draw near. How? How do we do that? With a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So how do we draw near? How do we draw near? We draw near willfully. It's a let us. Let us draw near. He goes on to say, let us hold fast a little bit further down and then let us consider. And we're going to look at all those in just a moment. But be ready to draw near. To draw near, you know, you've got relationships with people. And if you want to have a better relationship, you've got to communicate, right? If you don't communicate, you're not going to get closer and closer in your relationship. Sometimes there's roadblocks in communication. Sometimes there's pride in, in, uh, in that. Sometimes there's, there's fear in communication. Sometimes there's, there's all kind of roadblocks in communication. But Scripture is telling us here to draw near. Let us draw near. Things that do not need to be a roadblock is, is your heart. You need to have a true heart so that you may draw near. And what does that mean? That means there's no deceit or falsehoods within your heart. There's no deceit in it. God is telling us for us to draw near, for us to be able to communicate with him, we need to remove those things. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if, if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He tells us that's the way to be able to communicate and to draw near to God. If you want to draw near church, if we want to have a church that is unified and is able to communicate and grow and have a stronger relationship with one another, we've got to communicate. We've got to communicate. And it can't just be through an all call. I'm talking about we got to communicate. You want to draw near? If we want to see our children's ministry grow, we got to draw near. If we want our youth ministry to grow, we got to draw near, number one, to God in our personal lives. But we got to draw near and see what is our vision? What is our hope? What is our core? What is our foundation? Where are we building to? What is our hopes? If we want young adults 
young married people, middle-aged folks like myself, if you want older adults and eldest adults, if you will, if you want to get them in, how do you do it? You communicate. You draw near. When it's time to gather, you gather. You don't say, well, I got this and I got that and everything else. You communicate and you make those plans. You say, I want to be a part. I want to draw near. Now, granted, this is talking about drawing near to Jesus, but I'm also talking about the church. In church, if we'll draw near, then we will draw nearer to God. But if we're sitting out here on this island and we're making this statement about this, and we're making this statement about that, or this person, or this activity, or whatever it may be, you can count on it. Disunity will not draw you near. It will isolate, destroy, and kill you got to draw near to God. And when we let things get to us, we, we, we've got to let our, we got to communicate these things and come near to God. And it says there, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And what does that mean? It means to be full, to be full of. It means like to be glutted is the way one commentator put it. He says to be glutted, uh, which comes from the word gluttony. It means like you're eating so much, you're just taking it in. You know, and that's, that's a sin. You shouldn't be gluttonous. But it says to be glutted with faith, filled until it can hold no more, as of the words of Richard Blanchard in his hymn, fill my cup, Lord, fill me till I want no more. Fill my cup. And that's what we should desire. God, fill me. Fill me with faith, full assurance of faith. You come and you draw near unto God. And then you've got, you, you come, how do you draw near to God? With a true heart. You draw near with a full assurance of faith. You draw near with purity of soul and life. Look at the latter part there, verse 22. It says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now just as the priests and sacrificial animals had to be washed with pure water, so we have assurance that our bodies have been washed with pure water. The reference um, might well be to the water of baptism, but I hold that it is a washing of regeneration and an ongoing life of repentance that keeps the body and soul pure. The baptism only reveals outwardly what has already been cleansed inwardly. But we've got to, we've got to be able to approach and draw near with a purity of soul and life. That's how we draw near. Look there in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. All right? So he's talked about our faith. Now it's talking about our hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So how do we be ready in hope? How do we be ready in hope? Well, we, we hold fast by knowing our confession is true. We hold fast by knowing our confession is true. Holding fast has the idea of tightening down, of tightening down. You know what I mean? Like, just like when you have a nut on a bolt, okay? To gain the greatest strength in the hold, you must tighten down that nut to the bolt. And we should be continually tightening down on our confession. You're just ratcheting down. So that means reading the Word of God for ourselves, just as I promoted earlier, our daily Bible reading. You know, 
uh, reading the Bible, Word of God for ourselves, being faithful to gather for Sunday school and worship, and making every effort not to forsake the gathering together. And, of course, we'll hit that in just a minute. But, but that's how you tighten down. It's like a ratchet. You're just ratcheting down, and you're tightening down on your faith. You're going to church. You're tightening it down. You're going to Sunday school. You're tightening it down. You, you're, you're being here on Wednesday nights because, listen, this DVD we've been watching has been very beneficial, I believe. I love watching it. Tightening down on what you believe. But yet, if you say, well, I can't go this Sunday. And I, trust me, I know things happen. You get sick. You have sickness in your family. Something comes up. Listen, that happens from time to time. So don't think that I'm sitting here going, oh, you, you know. I'm just telling you, if you're using just flippant things just to skip out on church, quit it. Quit it. I know there's seasons of life where you say, you know what, I, I can't go. I can't go. You know, sometimes you got to make sacrifices. I remember when, when, uh, when I was transitioning out of uh, my drafting degree and I was looking for a job in my field in architectural drafting well you know I wanted to start in that field well I had to make some sacrifices to do that I was working for an electrical engineer from eight in the morning until four in the evening and I, I didn't know for sure if that's what I really wanted to do for a long time so then I was working from five to eleven at Walmart so I was working at eight to four getting home, eating supper, rushing back down to Walmart, working from 5 to 11, and I did that for an entire year because I was trying to figure out, is this place where I'm working what, what I want to do for a long time? I ended up working at that engineering place for four years. I quit Walmart after one year. But I had to make a decision, but I worked that whole schedule for an entire year, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and most of the time on Saturdays, I was working at Walmart, and I was working at the engineering place Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I was also having to go out of town a lot of times on, on uh, I'd leave out on a Monday morning and wouldn't get back till Thursday night, riding the lines down in lower Alabama. And you got to make sacrifices sometimes. That whole year that I worked at Walmart Stewart Engineering, that was Brogan's first year of life. I was barely home. I mean, I was home. Honestly, I was home a lot because I ate breakfast at home, lunch at home, supper at home. But that was it. Meals was about it. And if we weren't there Wednesday night, I was at church. That's the only night I had off from Walmart. I was at church on Wednesday night. I was off on Sundays. I was at church on Sunday. And I said, you know what? I've, I've got to do what I've got to do for right now. The Lord's got a plan for me. He'll work it out. And he did. I see where I am today. And by God's grace, he's been good to me. But sacrifice comes. And you've got to be ready to make a sacrifice if you know something is true. If you know something is true, sometimes you've just got to make a sacrifice for it. And it might not be easy in the moment, but you can look back and say, you know what, that was a hard decision, but it's what I had to do. I know my confession is true. It's a hard decision. The Bible tells us don't make a decision for faith without thinking about it. Nobody decides to build a house without first looking at the plans and looking and thinking it through because there's nothing worse than getting started on a house and getting halfway through and then everybody who rides down the road looks at your house and says, oh, look at that, they didn't think that through. I'm paraphrasing the Bible, but basically that's what it's saying. And then your house sits there and, and is in, in like all you got is studs up and, and, and you have nothing done. And people go by and they say, look at that. They thought they had a plan. Well, that's what a lot of people do with their faith. They don't think it through. 
They don't think it through. They don't think about how hard it is. I mean, any, any of you ever built a house before? I've heard a lot of people say, building a house almost cost me my marriage. I've heard people say that before. Because it's difficult to build a house, because everybody wants it their way. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's compromises, there's challenges, but you know that the outcome of what you want to get to is true. The outcome of this is saying, I want to draw near. I want to be close to God. So I've got to make the sacrifices that comes to get me near to God. And how do I get near with God? I have hope. I have hope in that. We know that our confession is true. And we also know the one in whom our confession is made is true. And knowing our confession is true, but knowing the one in whom it is made is even more important. It's more important. So keep making confessions of all kinds of things in this world today. But a confession that Christ is Lord is the greatest, truest, and most eternal determining confession anyone can make. That Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. We must know that Jesus is true. His, he is true to his word. He is true to his Father. And he is true to us. If he's made a promise to us, it's only because God the Father told him he can. Jesus said, the only words that come out of my mouth come from the Father. So if he's made a promise to us in his word, he is true to us. We're true to the confession that we are made. But most importantly, we are true to the confession of whom that is made. And that is Jesus Christ. We also need to be ready in verses 24 and 25 as we close this out. Verse 24 and 25. We need to be ready in consideration. Look at verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So why should we be ready in consideration? Well, the first thing is to stir up love and good works. It's to stir up love and good works. Consideration takes into thought those that are around us and how our actions have consequences not only to ourselves, but to those nearest to us. Let us take into consideration. In the original language, the word is katanumen ali, ali, ah, I said it right. I've worked on it all week. Katanumen alilus, which means to understand one another in a reciprocal relationship. And this combination of words leads us to a powerful truth in line with, what, with much of what we have learned in this day and age from the human relations movement. As we understand one another in reciprocal relationship, there results a creative interchange that leads to provocative stimulation of love and good works. That's out of the communicator's commentary in Hebrews. That's by Lewis Evans, Jr. But it's talking about how when you build that relationship with somebody, you just want to do something good for them because you love them. You built that bond. You want to watch out after them. You want to care for them. You want to do things that, that will benefit them. You'll, you'll want them to do good things, and you want good things to come to them because you love them. It's a reciprocal relationship. And that's what it's talking about here. We stir up. we got to be ready to let us um, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And where else should there be a better display of love and good works than in, in the house of the Lord? That, that, that's where it should be. Love and good works should come out of the house of the Lord. And love and good works is stirred up because of a love for one another and a love for the purpose of the relationship. 
Why else should we be ready in consideration? It's, it's to gather together for worship and fellowship in the middle of that verse 25, or at the beginning of verse 25, excuse me, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is, some of, as is the manner of some. You know, this is our expression of the body along with the spreading of the gospel. It's the expression of the body of Christ is to gather together and to worship and fellowship. And it's, this is the other action with the spreading of the gospel. But where do we activate, where do we activate this reciprocal relationship that I just talked about a moment ago? It's in the gathering together that encompasses, of course, worship, but also Sunday school and Wednesdays and small groups if offered. And so we should desire to be together for the purpose of considering to their giftedness and purpose. If you're not around one another, if you're not spending time with one another, if you're not having conversations with one another, you're not going to know where their giftedness is. And some people are kind of shy, but they've got a giftedness that they can use, maybe not out in front of everybody, but they've got something that they can accomplish and they can uh, put to God's glory within the bride and within the body of Christ. I'll never forget, and I'll, you'll hear me quote this again in the future. Had a gentleman at Fairview Heights Northside Baptist Church. His name was Bennett Hines. And Bennett told me, he said, Brother Blake, he said, now, I'm not a teacher. He said, I'm not a gifted teacher. And he said, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not a good singer either. He said, I, I'll sing. He said, uh, he said, but that's just not where I'm gifted. He said, he said, but I can fix and I can repair and do about anything. He said, so if you need anything done around this church, you let me know. He said, I'm, I'm ready and willing to do anything this church needs me to do. He said, that's my contribution to the body of Christ. And I said, amen, brother. God's gifted every one of us different. You know, sometimes you need that hinge of that elbow to make that hand work. You don't really think about that a whole lot till you injure your elbow. But it's there all the time doing the work. And when that elbow's out of commission, you realize how little now you can use that hand because it's up in a sling, right? Just because it's not at the end producing all the fruit doesn't mean it's not as vital. Everybody's got a place. And when we consider one another, that means taking into account what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. We shouldn't be putting people that are weak in places where we hope for them to get strong. If we want someone to get strong, we mentor them. outside. You don't put them up there and say, do this. You say, let me, let me bring you along in, in, the, in the background. Let me bring you along. And then, you know, as you feel more confident in yourself, we could do that if that's something you want to do. But everybody is called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't say, well, I shouldn't be telling people. Well, then you've totally misunderstood why Jesus saved your life. Everybody is supposed to be telling somebody. This week I was in here and I was praying over the service, praying for, and I like to walk up and down these aisles. And I think about, that's the reason why when I look around this congregation, I'm looking at where you're sitting. Now, some of you have changed spots a couple of times, so it's kind of confusing on during the week sometimes. But I'll come in here, and I'll walk up and down these aisles, and I'll say, I know Pat and Helen sit here, and I know Carl sits back there, and I know Harry and Linda sit back here, and Miss Hilda sit back around that back row. They're there every, every week, you know. And I'll, I'll walk through here, and I'll, I'll think, they're sitting here, and they're sitting here, and I'm praying for you. And I'm calling you out by name. And I think about where you're sitting. I think about right now, Johnny and Nelda are not sitting where they normally sit. 
Krista and Nick are not where they normally sit. And I'm not trying to call them out on, on Facebook, so if you're watching, I'm not trying to get on to you. I'm, I'm just saying, uh, I know where they normally sit. And so I see them not here this week, so I'm praying for them. It's on my mind. Brother Hansel usually sits right back there close to where Brother Tommy's sitting right now. And I don't see Miss Shirley here today. We need to continue praying for Miss Shirley. You know, and I, I'm thinking and I'm praying about folks. And see, this is the thing. You've got to know your people. Why do we now have the rosters in your Sunday school classes that have the names of folks and not just numbers? Because people are not numbers first. They're people first. So you recognize who's absent. Sunday school teachers need to be reaching out. Reaching out. Because although they might not be intentionally not gathering together in Sunday school, we need to let them know they're missed. Not forsaking to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Some people make it a habit. And we need to pray for them. But let us encourage or exhort them all the more as we see the day approaching. Man, you need to be here. It, it'll encourage you. It'll bless your heart. Don't skip out. You need to be engaged. I mean, like I said earlier, though, sometimes there's seasons where you've got to, you know, Miss Linda's been caring for Brother Buddy. You know? Man, it's good to see Miss Linda back in the house today. That's right. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But, you know, we don't know when we might be the next person that has to care for a loved one in that way. And it's not that they're missing because they, they want to. Sometimes you've got to miss because you've got to. You'll see Miss Linda pop on Facebook watching, you know. And the beautiful thing about Facebook is you can go back and watch it this evening, tomorrow, or the next day. But at the same time, it's good if you set that time apart. You know what I mean? Set that time apart. But we, we, we need to know one another. So that we can stir one another up to good works and, to, and in love. And, and we gather together for worship and fellowship. One, com one commentator gave three reasons people choose not to gather. Okay, there it is. I thought I had it, I thought I had it singled out a little bit better. Uh, they, they don't go out of fear. They don't go because there's no one like me. And they may not go because of conceit. Or pride. They don't go out of fear. One, this person is more concerned with what people think of them than Christ is in most situations. They think more of what people think of them. The church is for many things, but the two primary are to heal the broken and equip the renewed. That's what the church is for. It's to heal the broken and equip the renewed. But these folks, one reason why is they don't go out of fear. They don't go because there's no one like me. The big word for this is called fastidiousness. Yeah, that's a big word. Fastidiousness. It's actually got a, a big word. I don't go because there's nobody like me. It doesn't matter where you land on the social economic levels of this world. All should be in church and welcomed in each church. Many people use this. They use this in regards of age. There's no other kids my age. I don't want to go. I'm a child, or I'm a youth, there's nobody my age. I'm, I'm a young adult, there's nobody my age. Okay, Jesus is there. Now listen, don't get me wrong. It does make church a whole lot more fun or a whole lot more enjoyable if there's people there your age, right? All right? But you've got to build somewhere. We're in a place such as that. We're in a place such as that. Man, we need to be reaching out to young families. And children, man, we got we got a, a, a blessing of... of Older congregants, man, uh, senior saints, man, we love you. But guys, we've got to reach this younger generation. 
we got to reach out. We got to reach out to them and let them know we love them. And I know I see it, man. I see all ages talking to each other. It's a good fellowship here. I'm not getting on nobody. It's a good fellowship here. But I also know we just got to reach people. We got to reach people. We got to tell somebody. But they also don't go out of deceit. This person doesn't believe they need the church. I don't need them. I can do it all myself. It's a dangerous place to be. And lastly, um, when we think about this, it's to encourage one another. Be ready in consideration to encourage one another. One of the highest dignities is to encourage one another. One of the highest dignities is to encourage one another. The world is full of discouragers for sure, right? Debbie Downers. There's a bunch of them out there. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a times a word of praise, thanks, or appreciation has kept someone on their feet. I've said this before. If God ever puts something good for you to say to somebody else, say it. Don't worry about how they're going to receive it. Just say it. If it's something nice, if it's something good, if it's something God-honoring, if it's something uplifting, don't withhold it. Say it. Say it. It'll bless them. That's what we need to do. We need to encourage. We need to enter. We need to draw near. We need to have hope. And we need to live in consideration of who we are a part of a church family with. We've got to take those things into consideration. We need to be ready to communicate and most importantly, be ready to gather.